and welcome to the first episode of Rupture Radio, a weekly look at news, culture and politics from a left perspective. I'm Nicole, host for this week, and I'm joined by Paul. Hello. And long-time listener, first-time caller, Roisin. Hello, I'm in the big times now. (laughs) So Roisin's been involved in Rupture Radio for the last while, and she's currently working on an upcoming interview for the podcast too. Exciting stuff on the way. So it's really nice to have you here on the panel um, for what is actually our first episode of Rupture Radio. Um, I believe we claimed it was Rupture Radio last week, but it's actually only launching this week um, with our new name, new logo, and we've launched our Patreon community as well. So if you can support us, it would be greatly appreciated. So how are you both feeling about the launch of Rupture Radio and the death of Left Inside? I'm feeling like this is the third time I've recorded the launch of Rupture Radio. <laughs> There's an inside look um, because we did it once. One of the ones with Saoirse McKee was meant to be the launch and then we weren't ready. And then we did it two weeks ago. So um, I'm still excited, but I'm perhaps slightly less excited than the first and second time I, I recorded it. But it's all brand new and glittery for me, at least. You do seem a lot more excited than Paul Roshin, in fairness. I know, I'm more, more bright-eyed and innocent of the world, I think. <laughs> A few years of podcast cynicism. (laughs) Okay, so this week on Rupture Radio, very nearly said left inside there, (laughs) old habits die hard, Um, we're hoping to cover the US debate, as I'm sure all of our millions of listeners and now Patreon followers are keeping up with the US politics. Uh, We also are hoping to cover the government versus Neffet scandal um, and then also the upcoming budget which is going to be out tomorrow and then finally we're hoping to have a little chat on the climate change bill um, so without further ado we'll kick off with uh, the absolute I, I want to say shit show but that's probably probably not the best turn of phrase, the mockery of politics that is the US presidential election at the moment. Um, Did you guys catch up on the debate? Did you watch it? I actually didn't. And you know what? I sort of over and over wanted to and was like, no, I, you know, I care about this. I should be involved. But every time the thumbnail alone put me off because the like colour saturation and the drama of it was like Effie Trinquit meets like Requiem for a Dream. I found the whole thing terrifying and ran away. (laughs) If you were on the fence, it's not exactly something that you would be like, ah, Daphne Bolton for Biden now. It's like he doesn't know how to form full sentences is the impression that I got from him (laughs) on the debate anyway. And just like... Which is sort of an essential skill. You'd imagine so to be the US president. Uh, Like there was also... So, you know, this whole thing that's come out of it where Biden was like hey shut up man and everybody's like let's Mm -hmm. fucking print it on a t-shirt and make a big deal about it it's not like in my view anyway it wasn't like the cool hey shut up Trump kind of way people are trying to phrase it it was more like the two of them were like children interrupting each other your man who was hosting the debate I can't remember what his name was but he's also an old white man so you know real representative um they were like children interrupting each other constantly and he had to really, really chair the meeting. Like it was bad and embarrassing for both of them. And then he, um, 
just Biden couldn't handle being interrupted on the same level that Trump could. So in my view, it was more of like a shut up out of like frustration rather than being like a fuck you, Mr. President. Yeah, like it's mad this like, yeah, this total Hobson's choice that there is between them. Like, and apparently there was a CNN poll of all the statistics of like Biden's leads and Trump's followers and blah, blah, blah. But only 4%, this was out of all the statistics in the whole poll, this is the only one I was like, oh my God, only 4% of the respondents thought that neither of them did well, which is insane. Like, because all I'm hearing is that like, neither of them are ideal. Um, And yeah, that like, like you were saying, Nicole, about how like, yeah, it's like a rock and a hard place. Like, like someone said to me a while ago that it's like the choice is you got to eat your bowl of shit. So do you want to do it with your bare hands or would you like some chopsticks? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, one of the striking things about Biden's campaign, despite the Bernie Sanders kind of movement and AOC and, you know, big move to the left in US society is how Biden makes such a big deal of not being a socialist. You know, he's like, he's the one who beat the socialist. That's like his, his like feather in the cap or whatever. And it really, it belies the kind of, there was this idea that like, oh yeah, well, we'll shift Biden to the left. We'll shift the Democratic Party to the left. We'll get like a good manifesto and that'll impact what they do or whatever. When the reality is that Biden is like extremely conservative, corporate Democrat, done a lot of bad stuff, including in his personal life, it seems like. Um do you know what I mean? So the idea that that there's any evidence to suggest that the Democrats are reformable towards the left, like it's, it's clear it's not the case. There was actually quite a funny quip from Trump at one stage. Like I said, they kept interrupting one another and Biden was trying to, like, so Trump was going in and like, you know, you want socialist healthcare. And Biden was being real like, no, 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 that's not what we want. And Trump in the background, you can just hear him be like, well, you just lost the left. And it was just so true. It was, it upsets me to <laughs> say, but he made a good point. <laughs> um, so one thing that I thought of immediately when I heard of Trump's newly diagnosed COVID was that, uh, he had just been at the debate. So it was. I was kind of thinking maybe Biden would end up with it, but it seems as though it's kind of been um, curtailed to that Supreme Court um, announcement. <laughs> yeah, there's the, I think there's massive prospects between Biden and Trump at the debate, apparently. That's what I read. I don't see it now, but maybe it was such good. So maybe clean the camera angle it. makes it look yeah. not like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I read. Um, but. Um, yeah, it seems, I mean, the basically this Rose Garden event for the conservative Supreme Court judge who they're trying to get in um, was like a super spreader event. And a bunch of people were tweeting about how there were more cases of coronavirus in the White House than there was in like Taiwan, uh, New Zealand and Vietnam <laughs> put together. When I read that originally, I was like, what? And I thought they meant like total cases. They didn't actually mean total cases. They meant like in a single day. Because obviously okay. case numbers in those countries are, are oh, low. Yeah, okay. I, I was like, like to see if you work in the White House. Yeah, um, that was my first thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you see any of the videos, I watched the CNN kind of update on it. And like, they're all hugging and kissing each other mm-hmm. and shaking hands. And you look know, like not a mask in sight. So apparently one of the guys said that they were all speed tested on the way in. Mm-hmm. And then they were mm-hmm. told, you know, you're free of covid so you can take your mask off now but i mean that that was obviously the worst test the world has ever known 
and very ineffective in my view. I also feel like it's incredibly like gullible to go with that and be like, oh, okay, well, I'll go right up to you and there's absolutely zero risk. Like you have at least an inkling of caution, presumably, even if you got the all clear. Like, I mean, you know, Trump has been mocking coronavirus and taking it seriously and having restrictions or whatever since like the start of the pandemic in different kind of phases originally he was completely anti-mask and then he was like oh yes masks are necessary um so it kind of is a bit inevitable i think that in terms of his own personal behavior he goes to all these these rallies where nobody's wearing masks he doesn't wear a mask that he was going to get it um but obviously it's a bit like you know when boris johnson got it and then afterwards he was like yeah i beat the virus and tried to use it to like whip up like a patriotic thing and that's kind of what trump is doing except in this like slightly weirder way where he's like oh i beat it it's not that serious it's less than the flu and he also said if you should watch his videos is like the twitter videos he put on twitter they're utterly bizarre but one of them he said that it was a blessing that he got it and then he went on to say and it's China. China spread this virus and they're going to pay. But he also said it was a blessing he got us. Oh my God, he did that loads during the debate. It was embarrassing. It was awful. But what I like about his whole thing of like, you know, don't let this virus scare you mm-hmm. and let it control your life is like, yeah, it's it sort of echoes Johnson's like, yeah, whipping up a national base. But his one is like, unless you're a loser who would let this virus beat you, then I don't want you in my club. But the other thing, of course, you can see that he actually, I think, like, on some level, he knows that he's a bit politically exposed, that he's going to be okay, you know, from the coronavirus. And he, he, he puts it down to this r- drug by this company called Regeneron. And he says, he says, one of the most hilarious things he says, he says, uh, you know, the doctor said it was just therapeutic, but it wasn't just therapeutic for me. It cured me. And like, that's the definition of therapeutic. <laughs> he thought therapeutic meant like, oh, it just like deals with your symptoms or something, but that's not it. But but it's this like super expensive trial drug that's not available to anyone. And he's making a big deal of saying this is going to be available to anyone who needs it. And it reflects the fact that he's vulnerable about the fact that like he got the best possible health care paid for by U.S. taxpayer, paid for by the public. That like, you know, obviously Americans have to pay huge amounts of money in private health insurance to get any sort of decent health care. And so he, he's making all these promises that he's no intention of keeping. He doesn't have the power to keep about distributing this drug, about everyone getting it, etc. Um, but there is like this deep irony that yeah. like he got public health care paid for by ordinary people when ordinary people don't get it. Yeah. And the figure I heard was that his, what was it, like four day stay in hospital would have cost someone who was not the president a hundred thousand dollars, like that you would end up homeless and bankrupt uh-huh. because you got COVID-19. Like, How was anyone supposed to afford that? Like, especially because a lot of jobs wouldn't pay sick pay. So while you're off with coronavirus you're not only building up a debt of a hundred thousand you're not getting paid at the same time like it's shocking yeah u.s healthcare is just like disgusting because they on the one level they, they actually have the best healthcare mm. in the world for like the very richest people who have the most money to pay for it. and then like you, you have all these people like a lot of health everyone has to have health insurance otherwise you're absolutely screwed so a lot of people keep working until mm-hmm. like they're in their 80s or whatever just in order to have health insurance because it's part of their employment contract. It's like the premise to so many episodes of Scrubs is like the hilarity the NMC is from trying to get patients care if they're not insured. Like that's how accepted it is. It's a joke. They like take the bracelets off like dead people in the mortuary, like JD and Turk. Yeah, I can remember that actually. 
that is an interesting point that it's so normalized to them that it's actually mm-hmm. a joke at this stage. Mm-hmm. It's someone else is actually gaining off the the medical <laughs> issues of people. Not only are the hospitals and those charging for the medical practice, but comedians and other famous people are also. And that's why the it. yeah, like it just goes on and on. It's why the the Medicare for all idea, which is basically that's it's that's like U.S. speak for like universal healthcare NHS. Um, it was one of the most popular mm-hmm. elements of Bernie Sanders' program. Um, but the point is, Biden and Kamala Harris make a point of like disassociating themselves from from all of those like more progressive progressive elements of Bernie Sanders' program. Like um, Kamala Harris had a hilarious tweet the other day saying Joe Biden will not ban fracking. That is a fact, you know. And it's like. <laughs> and this is like said as a good thing, like you know, she's their vice president. Yeah, vice president is it, it's a, a campaign like. encourager, like so. Something that I read, I'm pretty sure it was in Jacobin. Um, was that Team Biden, um, are kind of signaling to their donors that you know the official Democratic platform is more of like a strategy, kind of like just to get mm-hmm. the left vote, not actually the potential government policy, like so. Apparently, uh, multiple calls have been received by Wall Street leaders basically saying like, listen, this is just an exercise to keep the Warren people happy. You know, um, this is absolutely not going to be the way it is. Um, And then they're just trying to obviously capture the Sanders votes as well. And I just want to know, as someone who would have been in support of Sanders from a distance, obviously, because I live in Ireland, like how much of this would Sanders be aware of? Do you know that kind of way? Like, would he be told this is actually what we're going to do in order to get him to run and get those supporters again? Because I mean, I know a lot of Sanders's campaigns are funded by donations mm-hmm. from regular people. So if he is aware that this is not actually ever going to come through, like that's actual theft from people essentially Mm. and it just I don't know it it just makes me wonder should the left be involved with Sanders and those kind of campaigns over in the US like is it worth it like um this this is the kind of the thing about the platform that's what when I was saying manifesto earlier that's what I was thinking of that's the US word for it um I just do a podcast with this guy Mike Davis who's a really good US socialist and he was making this point that the platform is really important you know like the main thing is to get the platform to the left and that'll put pressure on Biden, et cetera, in the future. Um, and it seemed to me to be like a dubious <laughs> strategy because once these people are in charge and the candidate, they can do whatever they want. Do you know what I mean? They can, okay, we're for this platform, but like mm-hmm. just ignore it and emphasize the bits that they want and then when empowered, do whatever they want. Um, and I think like, so I think absolutely socialists should be involved in Sanders' campaign. Because like a huge amount of energy, that's people becoming socialists, people looking to the left. Um, but I think Sanders and the people around him have like the wrong strategy, and that's a debate we should have with those people. Um, about like their their strategy is to kind of reorient the Democratic Party as opposed to organize a break from the Democratic Party. Um, and they think mm-hmm. like, what do they think? Yeah, I, I think to be generous to them, they think, well, one, you have to beat Trump, which is a very understandable notion, uh, given like how like you know populist right uh, Trump is, and two, I think they think that you can like shift the Democrats successfully to the left, even though that's a strategy that's been like tried and failed repeatedly. So I think like the role of socialists is to like speak to that like the base of the Democratic Party, which is like a potential or a large part of it is a potential base for a left wing party, 
and then to seek to organize a break from that party from where we are starting from today. It seems like the only realistic option. I feel like the Democratic Party are always going to stab the left people in the back. You know what I mean? They they don't actually have any intention of fulfilling the promises that they make. Like, yeah, I mean that, that's that's definitely is. I mean, one one thing, one like good thing in a way that can come out of a Biden presidency, and I think Biden's going to win at this stage. I mean, he does have a big, big lead, but obviously, who knows? Um, but it, that's what we said last time. That's true. They have apparently <laughs> adjusted the polls to like take that into account and all that. But like, yeah, who knows? Um, and I think like a, a big issue can arise if, if Biden doesn't win by a lot, then you can have a disputed election results and Trump may try to hang on to power and you can have huge mobilizations in the streets and try and force him out. But one good thing about, about Biden being in power is just like it'll demonstrate again, not that we should need to see it again. But that the Democrats are not a friend of ordinary workers and our friend of the anti-war movement and our friend Black Lives Matter. And like you can just listen to Biden and that's clear. But people hope against hope that it'll be, you know, radically different than Trump or whatever. And I think often when Democrats are in power, it does provide more of an opportunity to build movements separate from the Democratic Party and not to have all the energy sucked into, oh, we have to get rid of this Republican, we have to put a Democrat in. Yeah, I suppose that was because a lot of people had high, high expectations of Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. And then to see him not being able to fulfill the needs of people, I suppose, probably started a lot of movements, which is probably how Bernie Sanders was able to gain the popularity that he did, you know, because he was actually speaking to the people and looking for what they're genuinely searching for. Um, So I suppose on our own version of... uh, events here in Ireland you know we're really lucky that we have a government that listens to all the public health advice oh wait no we don't (laughs) never mind (laughs) oh hang on yeah oh wait no we have that too (laughs) I mean it's it's gas because Varadkar is Varadkar loves to use the word populist he goes on about populist oh you're populist all the time to try and like ridicule like the left and the not even that left but like He's very clearly a populist. He's engaged in a slightly more skillful version of the same sort of game that um, Trump is engaged in, ignoring the public health advice, trying to pretend he's like a man of the people, cares about poverty, cares about people on PUP, cares about mental health, while like not doing anything about any of those issues. Well, doing something, making them all worse, cutting the PUP, cutting mental health funding. Um, but but yeah, it's it's like he is like he is increasingly Trump esque in a slightly different way. Absolutely, I would totally agree. Like you had simultaneously, while Donnelly was at the T Shocks press conference, you know, um, implying that the relationship between uh, Neffet and the government is great, fine, and then on Claire Byrne at the same time, basically you have Leo Radker going to town on poor Tony Hulin. The man's only trying to do his best. I've I just like the whole thing makes me think that. Varadkar takes his like model for life from Mean Girls, like from the time he quoted it in his speech. And now it's like, like it literally fits quite well of like the Claire Byrne book. Um, (laughs) And I think it's just, yeah, his model for how to... I have to watch Mean Girls, obviously. Oh, Paul, it's essential viewing. Like 100%, I can't believe you've made it this far in life. I just do the Mean Trots memes, but I don't don't understand the show. Are you pretending to understand the Mean Trots memes? I mean, I understand the mean trots memes because they're like self-explanatory. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, we'll have a review of Mean Girls next time. 
we get together. <laughs> <laughs> so explain explain to me this this Claire Byrne. So basically, joke. no. So so it's a joke from Mean Girls. There's this thing in Mean Girls where, like, you know, they're all they're this like lovely pink clique. Well, they wear pink on Wednesdays mm. and they're best friends and blah blah blah. But if you do anything wrong, you get put in their thing, the burn book, which is basically like what do they say? They write like Glen Coco is a fat slut and things like that. Like no, good things happen to Glen Coco. I don't know. Um, but it's like literally that, but in like real time of like, uh-huh. you've got, yeah, you've got this press conference on the one side of like, we're all good, we're all fine. And then you have Varadkar honestly just bitching. And I just quite like that literally you've got burn in both situations. <laughs> burn. I bet you he'd love that comparison as well if you said it to him. Because he's such <laughs> a populist. Like, oh, yeah, someone noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, I've been basing my life after Mean Girls for years. <laughs> um, just to take it back a little bit to Stephen Donnelly at the uh, press conference though before we go on to Radker a bit more D- did anybody else notice that he sounds like a crazy person and his answers were things like when you know when he was asked what happens if it's bad you were ignoring this public health advice and he's like well it's not a case of who was right and who was wrong nobody will be responsible you're in fucking government you're supposed to be responsible um, nobody res- will be responsible only the virus will be responsible. Pushing his Cold responsibilities off. Exactly, Roisin. It's <laughs> madness. And when they have a body set up to advise them on the stuff to do for public health, but that, I, like I think it is incredible short-termism by the government, both on like the decision that they're actually made. It's like purely based on short-term profits of the kind of businesses that are lobbying now to stay open. Because even from the point of view of the economy. Like in the medium term, having this like roundabout of lockdown, partial reopening, lockdown, partial reopening isn't good. Like the consequence of not going to level five now will be to go there for later, for longer, with more debts and also with more economic impact. Um, so at that level, but also politically, like they're playing huge, taking a huge risk um, by like not following this advice because as like, unfortunately, the number of cases and the number of people dying as a result mount, they'll be under increasing pressure. One thing that was striking was that um, it was only really people for profit and rise, which took a clear position um, about saying we should follow the public health advice. All the other parties, including the opposition parties, kind of gave out about the messaging, gave out about like Varadkar on Claire Byrne, which I agree with, but avoided taking a position and kind of stood on the fence or sat on the fence about like what to do because they think it's like short term unpopular to advocate now for following the public health advice, even though the polls show that most people actually are in favor of following the public health advice and doing what's necessary if the correct supports and stuff are in place. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say just that, like, I think it was the Irish Times had a poll earlier in the week that two thirds of people Mm -hmm. think we don't have enough restrictions in place, which is insane, like, because it sort of seemed the whole way along that I like I thought at first they were maybe just not doing level five to save face to have gone from like a Thursday night meeting of like nah no one else mm-hmm. needs to go up to level three it would be humiliating to then go everyone up to level five all of a sudden so I thought maybe it was gradual just yeah for the sake of not having a red face like but most people think that they're acting the maggot well, yeah, but it shows like the the Department of Health has these polls. They do polls every single week. And it's really interesting by this company called Amora. People should go onto the Department of Health website. And consistently, people have always been 
in favour of like more public health measures than the government consistently all the way through. And then as the crisis has gotten worse again, it's the gap has gotten larger and larger. And it, it shows to what extent like the perception of public opinion that you get through the media is like is really warped, you know? You don't get an accurate perception because the media chooses to focus in on certain stories. Do you know what I mean? You hear the publicans talking understandably about the terrible impact of this in their business and saying, oh, you know, why is this happening? There isn't the evidence. And like, that's a very, I'm not saying that shouldn't be part of the debate. It should be. But also part of the debate should be like the people who have lost loved ones as a result of the coronavirus and the people who are saying, well, we have to do what's necessary. We just need the supports. It just, it does, like there's a huge gulf, like your perception of public opinion is a very different thing than actual public opinion. I just want to say one of my favourite quotes from Leo Radker on the Claire Byrne show was when he said, (laughs) what happened on Sunday night came out of the blue. Like, really? Are you, like, have you not been paying attention to the figures that are coming out? Like, can you really say that a lockdown at this stage is out of the blue? Like, do you know what I mean? It's a bit bit of a poor choice of like I mean maybe in the beginning when all of this started to have a lockdown was out of the blue but now it should be expected surely and like a normal thing for governments to be prepared to do at this stage like it makes me want to go like back to absolute square one with him of like okay so there's this place called Wuhan and they eat some animals that yeah we don't eat. exactly they kind of like armadillos and then what happened have you seen contagion <laughs> um well even really concretely this out of the blue thing um so last Thursday in the doll, Stephen Donnelly, for the first time, after this had been controversy for 24 hours, said that before even the Neffet meeting happened, he spoke to Tony Holohan and Tony Holohan said, I, I, he talked about going to level four. And level four and level five, there's very little difference between level four and level five. And then Stephen Donnelly, under questioning, said that he told the Taoiseach, Michal Martin, about that. And it's very likely that Michal Martin would have told Leo Varadkar. But he said it was out of the so blue, like, Paul. He wouldn't lie to us. I know, Nicole. <laughs> could the man be could the man be telling some porkies? One of my other favorite things that he said was where he was like, we were asking uh, Nefit, you know, if, if four weeks might be enough and they weren't able to give us that comfort. Like, yeah. what? No one yeah. can fucking give you that comfort at the moment. Do you think that Nefit yeah. have like a fucking psychic on staff now or something that they'll be able to tell you yeah. this? Like, like if you have cancer and, and like, they're like, you know, you go on this really harsh treatment, like, um, and you're like, but like, is there a guarantee it'll work after a month? And like, no, we can't give the guarantees. Like, well, yeah. no, I'm not going to do it. Do you <laughs> well, know? It's if you like can't really give bizarre. me that comfort, like, then, to follow the yeah. advice. Yeah. And then there was another comment. Um, very good people, 40 of them, all coming from medical or scientific civil service backgrounds. None mm-hmm. of these people, for example, will have to be faced with the PUP uh, yesterday. Well, Jesus, I should fucking hope oh that God. the people working for Neffet are not pa- facing the PUP because if ever we fucking needed them, <laughs> it's now Leo Radker. Do you know what I mean? What a stupid thing to say. But also, he's the guy who cut the PUP. It makes my eyes spin in my sockets. <laughs> well, you can see how much my hands are flailing around here because I'm so infuriated. <laughs> what I like as well, I mean, it's such a small detail, but I just found it really funny of like, because my headlines are, at the moment are all like about like school midterms and blah, 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 but also about like the traffic going up and down under Operation Fanat. Um, and I just find it such a dumb name. I don't know why. It just gives me the absolute giggles of like Operation Ah, lads, but just hang, just hang on, just just a minute, just wait, just wait, wait and see. We played by ear, lads. Fair play to us. 
<laughs> oh god i mean yeah i feel like we are facing donald trump-esque style leaders i think i agree <laughs> i think that that's something that we just i don't know they're starting to embarrass me more and more each day you know it used to be that trump's tweets were the biggest fucking deal in the world but now you hear your own politicians and you're like actually you're embarrassing too <laughs> Except for you, Paul, of course. They're, you would, ne- you would never bunch, embarrass yeah. us, I'm, I'm sure. I'm not a politician, Nicole. Oh, you're a, an activist. You're right. So, sorry about that to put you in that bracket. <laughs> All right. Last time you see me in the rupture radio. First time. <laughs> well, we've gotten three uh, launches out of you now, so. They're <laughs> <laughs> all launched out. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean. Uh, on the Trump-related stuff mm-hmm. is... um. I mean, again, it's not the same, you know, I mean, Trump is a, like, climate change denier. But, in a sense, like, if you accept that climate change is real and is, like, this, you know, existential threat to humanity, but then don't do anything about it, are you better or worse than someone who denies it, you know? And, like, we had the next stage of that this week, the Climate Action Bill was launched, which is a big part of the Green Party reason for going into government. For like, uh, people seen the latest polls, they're like, dropped by two thirds in their support levels. Um, and basically, I mean, yeah, it's better than the last Climate Action Plan, but like, it's completely inadequate in every single possible way that you can consider it. And like, from the government's pushing it as if like this is the thing, this is great, we're gonna save the climate with it. Um and yeah, if you want an example of Trumpism, there's that. Yeah, like what I found is that like from the very get-go, it's a letdown of like this thing where it's supposed to be due in a hundred days and they're like a couple days late on. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, this is a great shout for how the rest of your like undying dedication is gonna go. Like and in, at the at the press conference, they said um, Varadkar was like, and I want to congratulate him and Ryan for bringing this in within a hundred working days. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Amazing! Geez. He found his way around, not counting Sundays and uh, bank holidays, and uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I suppose one of the most striking things about it for me would be that the law doesn't commit the state to actually achieving zero carbon emissions by twenty fifty. It's just to pursue it. Sure, we could make that fucking promise now. Ah, oh, yeah, sure, we're pursuing that. Do you know what I mean? It's just so vague and wishy-washy. I'm trying. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and well, basically, like, so, the, I mean, the, the kind of center point of the bill is these, like, five-yearly um, climate budgets. And I mean, that basic idea of, like, you've definite time frame here, you have to do it, and, like, it becoming a big part of the political agenda is a good idea. Um, but... You can, so regardless of 2050 being like a stupid target that's completely like terrible for a rich country like Ireland, like even if you hit zero carbon, your chances in the whole world of avoiding oh, going over 1.5 degrees is like only 66% and Ireland's a rich country. So there's all those points. But like the problem with their climate budgets is one, you, if you miss like a certain amount of the target for your first climate budget, you can just put it into your second climate budget. And then in turn, you can put some of your second budget into the third budget. And so to some extent, it just becomes like this long thing between now and 2050. And you can move the stuff around when like, that's not it. Like say we had the technological ability to go from the current carbon emissions we have to zero overnight. You couldn't just wait till 2050 
to do that and then do it all at once because all of the carbon we're emitting now is going to contribute for years to yeah, come to global warming. Um, and then the other thing is that like ease. So you're allowed to like pass a certain amount from a five-year budget to the next five-year budget, like 1% of the total. But then if you miss it, if you miss any of it, you miss like any part of the bill whatsoever, there is no consequences, no penalties. So again, it's like in line with your thing of just pursuing. It's like this nice aspiration that's written in law. Yeah, it's a very casual approach to pursue this goal rather than to be like treating it as the end of the fucking world, which is in reality what could happen if we allow carbon emissions to be the same as they are now. Like, it's just, like you said, it's worse because he had, they like the Irish government admit that they're aware that climate change is such a huge issue, but yeah, they're taking such little action on it. What I find quite indicative of, yeah, this like blase attitude to it as well is how prevalent the word flexibility is in it, especially they have all these paragraphs in regard of like, we have to remain flexible to use and incorporate any technologies that will be invented and become mm-hmm. available to us and blah, blah, blah. And like, anecdotally, what it reminds me of is I have a friend who works all over the country doing gigs, so he drives a lot, but he can't drive. So he pays someone to drive him around, which is not a negligible Mm. amount of the money that he makes. And I asked him about it. I was like, because he's not learning to drive, he's doing nothing. He was like, but we're so close to self-driving cars. It's kind of this thing of like, it'll get, look, we're just, we're nearly there. Someone like, you know, we've got till 2050. So I think like the BT Young Scientist winner of 2049 will have it down for us. Like, it'll be grand. No, that's exactly it. That, 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 like, that's the problem with these people, these kind of techno-utopians who think we're going to invent a machine that is going to suck the carbon out of the atmosphere. Like that's, there's loads of people who think that, is that it's a recipe to do nothing today in the hope that you have a technological solution tomorrow, as well as ignoring like, loads of these plans for like, technological solutions. So there's ideas about like, that you shoot loads of basically like, kind of tinfoil, tinfoil into the atmosphere to like, reflect the light back out right but like there's like all these like unintended consequences as a result of doing that you could then have like be dealing with a thing called global dimming that like the stuff that you do to nature kind of comes back to you again and then so just waiting for this thing but it is it's really typical but that's the whole government approach is like relying on electric cars you know is the idea that we're just going to shift people from moving on petrol cars to electric cars which have like Almost as much problems with them but in reality. when has the latest technology been available to working class people also? You know what mm. I mean? If we're relying on this technology, we're fucked anyway. Do you know that kind mm. of way? And the other thing that's really absent, I mean, one th- funny thing, so they, they spoke about a just transition um, in like the launch of the bill. I think it's in the bill, the idea of a just transition. Um, and it's really ironic because the Green Party, bizarrely again, voted at their, com- their conference last weekend. They voted at their conference against incorporating the idea of a just transition, um, which obviously is the idea that like ordinary workers shouldn't pay the price. But the whole kind of way the Climate Action Bill is set up, it's really top-down. So you have some improvements to the Climate Advisory Council, um, but a lot of it is like a whole top-down driven process from the minister and the Climate Advisory Council, as opposed to actually you need like committees in workplaces involving ordinary workers to have discussions about how can we meet these climate, these carbon uh, targets and then actually have a process like from below based on democratic input at a grassroots level. 
Also, you're more likely to get full participation from people if they've been involved mm-hmm. in the establishment of it. Like it's simple as mm-hmm. they understand the importance of it in a greater way then. Exactly. Yeah, I suppose with all the other madness going on, it's kind of easy to forget that normal politics is still going on. Um, so we do actually have a budget coming out tomorrow. And Pascal Donoghue has confirmed that the priority of the budget will be keeping finances safe. So that makes me as a working class person feel like I'm going to do well out of this budget. Yeah, we'll be safe. (laughs) As usual. (laughs) They'll buy me uh, um, an electric car to make sure that I'm not going over (laughs) carbon emissions. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think one of the striking things about the budget is that like all the talk of like kind of investment by the state, stimulus, Keynesianism's back, kind of that was all like towards the start of the coronavirus was a big thing. And in terms of the budget, it's completely forgotten. So the government's going to run a big deficit or the state will run a big deficit this year because of, you know, um, tax revenues are down, not as much as you think, but they're down. And then they're spending money because they have to because under pressure on PUP and massive amounts of money on wage subsidy scheme and things like that. But there is no talk anywhere about like investing, um, investing in green energy, investing in care jobs, for example, in building a national health service. Um, and actually at a time when you have like very high rates of unemployment and the government's forced to pay people a certain amount anyway, like as, as well as this like looming climate catastrophe, um, it clearly would make all the sense in the world to say, okay, we're going to have big public investment, but there's no indications of that at all. Well, they're probably getting away with it because according to the official economic figures, the economy is doing fine. They don't need to make any investments, <laughs> which is mad. It really just shows up how much the super rich have been gaining from all of this. The fact that our economy is leveling out still. Yeah, I mean, you, the corporate tax take is still like relatively good and stuff. And it, I think it just reflects the fact that like, the GDP figures in this country and the corporation tax and the corporation profits figures in this country are all like bullshit. They're not real. Um, it's based on using Ireland as a tax haven. Um, because like obviously like real activity in the economy and people's lives are massively disrupted by COVID, but the economy appears to be substantially less um, impacted. And that's because the likes of your Google, your Facebooks, your Apple are still running huge operations through Ireland and like kind of booking them, booking the profits in Ireland, and therefore you get the corporate tax at this point in time until what Ireland corporate is underfoot by another state. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, Paul, I believe you're working on a proposal for Ireland, which would pick super rich and help to rebuild the economy. Um, is there any update on that that you'd like to provide the listeners? Sure thing. Well, yeah, we should have an article in the journal during this week, um, hopefully. Um, basically, there's a European-wide campaign for what's known as a COVID tax. Um, which is about making the rich, the super rich, um, and the big corporations pay the price for COVID because there's going to be a very substantial um, price for COVID, obviously. Um, and there's kind of four aspects of these emergency uh, taxes. One is an increase in tax on corporations, like big corporations, corporations with profits over 5 million, an extra 3% tax on profits over 5 million. Like, do you even notice? that much of your money gone if you're making over five million in profits like it's true i don't know i've never made over five million profits we're hoping this year it'll be the year for for rupture radio (laughs) (laughs) 
hope to read it right. Make so much money on Patreon that our politics begins to shift and we uh, <laughs> set ourselves up in some sort of some, some sort We've of tax haven. Moving to the Cayman Islands, which won, it, were the main operation in Ireland. It started um, off with them being able to buy their own mics, and it just grew from there. <laughs> Just got out of hand really fast. <laughs> the other things are a, a tax on assets of investment funds and holding companies. Um, uh, What's a holding thing? company? Um, basically like a speculative vehicle. Like the IFSC is full of holding companies. I mean, you know what I mean? There's one building in the IFSC, which is a tiny building and has like hundreds of companies supposedly registered there. So all those kind of artificial, fictitious Oh, things. sounds very dodgy. Um, a wealth tax, so like a millionaire's tax um, on the top 1% in Ireland, and increasing tax on the transfer of assets. And, well, we're kind of doing the calculations now because it depends on how you add it all up. But like either way, even with a very modest version of all of those things, you'd raise well over 20 uh, billion euros, which would more than cover the deficit for this year and leave money over. Um, So it illustrates the point that the wealth is there. Um, it's not the end of the question, just taxation. We think we need to ultimately bring it into public ownership. We need to plan it, especially if we're going to have a just and rapid transition. But it, it hopefully will serve to like widen the parameter of the debate because like th- this week or last week, the government um, voted against restoring the pandemic unemployment payment. And the argument for that from Michal Martin was it's, it's not sustainable. And like that's just a lie because you refuse to look at all this wealth that's over there. It just goes to show... Like there's such a common idea of sort of like we old Ireland and that it's we're not the same as like glitzy America and all of their big rich baddies and blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. But like, it's insane. Like it's it's like, you know, we're not as big. It's probably you'd be able to raise 20 billion a bit easier in America, but it's not as if we're not at the fucking party. Yeah, sure. We're considered we're the fifth richest country in the world per person. And obviously Mm -hmm. that's disproportionate because we have so many billionaires here but it just would show you that there is a need for a taxation on these kind of people like and not only personal wealth but like the companies that are making huge profits here are not paying any corporation tax or very minimum and like even the banks that we bailed out that are now making huge profits still pay zero corporation tax you know what I mean? And they're, at the same time, they're increasing bank charges on the same week that lockdown was announced. That's true. And, and the billionaires have gotten richer throughout the course of the coronavirus. Like, coronavirus has disrupted kind of the sections of capitalism that are doing well. So some are benefiting and some are losing out. But as a whole, billionaires increased their wealth by almost 30%, um, by over $10 trillion from April to July. Fucking hell. Okay, well, I think we can bring it to a wrap there for our first ever official Rupture Radio recording. Or if you're Paul, the third ever official Rupture Radio recording. (laughs) Um, So if it is a case that you enjoyed this podcast, we would encourage you to subscribe using whatever podcast provider you do. And another thing we would say is if you did enjoy it, make sure you tell your friends. And if you need to help them to subscribe to the podcast, we would also encourage that. And finally, as I mentioned at the beginning, we have set up our Patreon community. So if it is a case that you enjoy listening to us and you want to keep listening to us, we would uh, encourage you to help us with our funds. 
and we will be forever appreciative and sure you never know you might get that conversation uh with us all as has been offered by you have like <laughs> dinner over zoom like we just sit at home we, we eat our dinner in front of you yeah. <laughs> i'm watching game of thrones so we talk about that oh my god yeah i'm watching the sopranos at the moment we could talk about it oh are you god both very good shows guys Ooh, I'm jealous. <laughs> yes, I wish I could watch each of those for the first time again. It's good, all right. Yeah. Well, I mean, don't get too excited. The end and shite. So you've probably already heard that. <laughs> That's why The Sopranos is such an, an old reliable. I think this is like the third or fourth time I'm watching mm-hmm. it. And I'm just like, oh, it's just going to be so good all the way through. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't waver in quality. One thing that about it, though, that did devastate me was when they killed off. Yeah, yeah. Not, wait, I, what, what if Paul and Kean haven't seen it? But also our listeners. Oh, I just assumed this bit would be cut out. Ah. No, it's the best bit. No, no, no. We're going to sort of segue into like a like really outdated cultural podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like this show from the 90s that has nothing to do with anything, but it's really good. Well, I've been watching a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Oh my God. It is the most uplifting and feel-good television the world has ever known. <laughs> Couldn't recommend more. Okay then, so maybe we actually will finish up here then rather than going off on a further spiel. Uh, thank you everybody for listening and we look forward to recording again for you soon. Bye. Bye. Another day, one shoelace beating the other people, the bus shouting at one another. Can-